Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Good morning, Vietnam! I have you now. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious... You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. And that's right, you are listening to 30-something movie podcast. I just came back from Arkansas, so that's why my voice is weird. Well, hello, John. <laughs> I, I did actually come back from Arkansas, but it didn't change my voice. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, How that's... was Arkansas? You, was it good to be back? Um, it's it's good to be back. Arkansas was nice. Actually, well, first of all, welcome to the 30-something movie podcast. I'm John. This is Bo. Yo. This is Patrick. Hey, hey. Okay, that's us. Um, so welcome. Glad that you're here. All right. Now back into the conversation. Um, Arkansas was good. Actually, we went down there. We were in southwest Missouri to visit my family. And then uh, my sister <clears throat> was doing the company that she works for now. They do a lot with uh, Walmart and Sam's. And so she was down, because that's where the headquarters is, is uh, Bentonville, Arkansas. And so she was actually on a business trip and ended up in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is just maybe like 20, 30 minutes away from Bentonville. So we drove from southwest Missouri, took us a couple hours. Um, we stopped off at uh, Pea Ridge, Arkansas, which is where the Civil War Battle of Pea Ridge was. And um, so stopped there, saw the battlefield, went on, picked up my sister, and then brought her back over to see the rest of the family. And uh, it was good. It was good. We, uh, well, I was looking for stuff to do in, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, because I, I know I've been there, but it's been many, many, many years. And uh, came across a list online that said Benton, that said uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas had one of the top, was it like top 20 or top 17? It was some weird number. Um, bookstores that will change your life. Wow. That's quite oh. a clue. And, and so I was looking at this list. I think it was from BuzzFeed. And I was looking at this list and this, and I thought, okay, maybe like in the Midwest or in the United States, it was bookstores from around the world. Wow. Really? I was like, you're kidding me. How, how would I not have known? Because I've been to Powell's in Portland, mm-hmm. and that place, I need to just, Sharon and I need to take our own little mini vacation over there just so we can spend several days in that store um, with no children with us. And um, so I thought, okay, I've been to Powell's, and this is on the same list as Powell's in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So we went and we checked it out. It was, I mean, they had a ton of stuff. They did not have the two or three books I was looking for, but, um, you know, it was one of those old, one of those bookstores where just things are just from floor to ceiling books. Just kind of everywhere. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty awesome. It was pretty good. That's really cool. Would have been even better if they had had the books I was looking for, but. Well, yeah. You know, such is life. And those stores, those stores are just fun to go to. Perhaps when you're going to a bookstore of that magnitude, Perhaps you aren't looking for the right books, right? Ah. Well, that's that's possibly true. Maybe maybe the book needs to find me. Well, yeah, like the wand chooses the wizard kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, I was thinking more like Matrix, where the one agent said, "Perhaps we are asking the wrong questions." You there know, you I mean, 
So what you're saying is, instead of choosing one of the high Aldrin's fingers, I should have chosen my own. Something like that. Okay. Which probably been, you know. That's a few years away, but okay. Okay, I, I see now. Maybe I just need to go back. There you go. Which yes. I would be fine with. Um, but yeah, so that was, uh, that was one portion of our vacation, so that was a lot of fun. I, uh, I do have a funny story related to our podcast that happened while we were on vacation. Um, we had the giveaway where we had a kind of a Twitter contest for people to follow and retweet us. And mm-hmm. um, one of our Twitter followers, uh, at Bad Movie Man, mm-hmm. he was the one that won the contest. So I got all the stuff together. I had the deck of uh, Princess Bride cards. And uh, I did a little, like, did a little sketch of a, a movie poster on something to send with him to and one of our little business cards that I was going to send off to him. And so I asked him for his address. And I won't give his you know, full name on the, on the recording here, but uh, he gave me his first initial and his last name and that he was in England. Oh, I was cool. like, okay, cool. That's crazy. Yeah. So, so I go to, I didn't have a chance to mail it before we left. So I take it with me and then we get to uh, where my family lives in Southwest Missouri and I take it to the post office and I have not mailed, I don't think I've mailed anything overseas in a very long time. And I don't know that I've ever mailed a package. So when I went to go in there and mail a package and I was like, okay, I just, I need to get this mailed. I don't necessarily need like tracking and, and that other stuff on it. Cause you know, I don't, I want my kids to go to college someday. And exactly. so, um, so I got everything all together. They made me fill out all these customs forms and all kinds of other stuff. And then the lady said, you know what? Um, the first initial that's on here, uh, the letter P they mm-hmm. can't, you can't send something internationally with just a, a first initial. It needs to be a full name. And okay. I was like, uh, well, the guy didn't give me his full name. So, uh, I mean, I, it's gonna be kind of tough for me to contact him. It's probably midnight there. Right. Um, and I need to mail this right now. So, so she said, okay. Um, she started to fill out all the type in all the other information. She's like, you know what? I'm just going to name him Paul. And I said, okay, well, are you sure? Like if you name him Paul, are you sure it's going to get there? Is it, are we going to have any problems with it not being delivered? Cause it's got the wrong name. She's like, no, it's, it'll be fine. We're just going to name him Paul. So I sent him a message uh, on Twitter after that, and I was like, you know, just be on the lookout for this. Hopefully it gets to you okay. The lady decided that your name is Paul because we're Americans. That's what we do. We call people whatever we feel like calling them. Yes. That's true. And, uh, and so he wrote me back like a few minutes later, and he's like, well, that's hilarious, and you should tell her that she needs to go buy a lottery ticket because my first name is Paul. Oh, wow. oh right on. I was like, well, there oh. you go. Maybe Americans are smarter than we think. Oh. And your silence was the answer I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and so at Bad Movie Man actually just messaged me this afternoon. He got the cards. He was very happy with them. So, oh, cool. right on. So, thanks for, thanks for retweeting us there, Bad Movie Man. Have you heard much about the Han Solo movie? Yeah, the whole director switch. Yeah. Have you heard I about this, Pat? I have not heard anything about that movie. Okay. So the Han Solo movie, people were kind of a little nervous about it to begin with because it's, Mm -hmm. you know, you're taking, you're taking Harrison Ford, who is Han Solo. Mm -hmm. And that's where we've had the discussions before, like, you know, having somebody else play Indiana Jones would Mm -hmm. just seem kind of weird. Um, Mm -hmm. So you take Harrison Ford, who is Han Solo, and you're going to have some other actor play him. And I think people were already a little bit nervous about that. Um, no, no, what's all that nonsense about you find out what his real name is? or Yeah, and then what? they had some other stuff going on. So there's been a few things here and there that have made people a little nervous about this movie. 
And on to top all that off, um, there was an announcement, I think just a couple of days ago, the, originally the directors for this movie were going to be the same two guys. Um, is it Chris Lord and Phil Miller? Did I get the names right? I know yeah, it's Lord okay. and Lord and Miller, but I can, I always forget who has the first name. And, um, right. the guys who directed the Lego movie and the Lego Batman movie. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be the directors. And I guess a few days ago there, an announcement came out that they were fired. Oh, and so I was like, oh, okay, that doesn't normally happen on a Star Wars movie when they, when I would have thought they were pretty close to finishing the filming of it. Um, so apparently, and then like a day later, or maybe not even a day later, they announced that Ron Howard was going to come in and he was going to be directing the Han Solo movie. Huh. So I thought, okay, um, I'm fine with that because Ron Howard's a good director and I feel like you right. know the vibe of... His movies is going to be fairly similar. We just mentioned Willow a few minutes ago. Um, he directed Willow. I mean, he directed, there were so many of these other great movies that he's directed. Um, so I kind of feel like you're going to get the same reverence for Star Wars that, you know, we, we kind of expect from these movies. I guess in the last day or so, the news has kind of come out that um, Lord and Miller, the the original directors of this, had... They were under the assumption that Disney hired them to bring a comedic vibe to this movie. And apparently, Disney, over the course of the filming of this movie, Disney had told them several times, uh, look, this is not a comedy. We want you to do a Star Wars movie with a, you know, bring some comedy to a Star Wars movie. But it should not be a comedy movie that just happens to be Star Wars. I'd just as soon kiss a Wookiee. Well, yeah. Exactly. So apparently they ignored Disney and, or or that's my understanding from reading these news stories, which of course can be one-sided. You do not ignore the mouse. Yeah, you don't because the the mouse will come after you. Um, Mm -hmm. So apparently they did. And that's what got them fired is apparently the movie was more comedic than what Disney wanted and they were not happy with it. And so they fired them and then they brought in Ron Howard to fix it. The other thing that I've heard that makes me a little bit more nervous for this as well is, um, and I guess this happens more often than we might think, but sometimes they will hire an acting coach to come in if they feel like they're not getting the performance out of an actor that they Uh were hoping for. And apparently, but normally that happens fairly early on in a movie. Like if that's going to happen, they'll do it, you know, not too long after they've started supposedly, I mean, this, this movie has been filming for a while. So supposedly they were towards the end of filming and they've now replaced the director. And the other news that had come out recently was that they hired an acting coach to come in and work with uh, Alden Ironreich, the guy who's playing Han Solo because they were not happy. Disney was not like Lucasfilm. Disney were not happy with the performance they were getting. So while I don't tend to like to be the person that, you know, starts crying doom and gloom, for a movie, all this stuff together is kind of making me a little nervous about it. Yeah. Uh, although, you know, we kind of had the same concerns going into Rogue One. And I mean, obviously, this might be my, you know, this might be famous last words. But Rogue One, didn't they do like, you know, a third of the movie reshot or half the movie reshot or something like that? They did. And, the I, and I actually, I referenced that when all this came out, I referenced that when I tweeted about it um, on Twitter. I, I said you know what, I, this makes me nervous, but at the same time, you know, I, I didn't freak out when we heard that they were, it was, I think it was like 40% of Rogue One 
uh, got reshot. And I didn't freak out then. I just thought, you know, movies do reshoots. That's a lot of reshoots, but, you know, if, if they need to do that right. to get it right, then fine. So I'm kind of like, I'm, for me, myself as a Star Wars fan, I'm, I'm hovering back and forth between, hey, you know what? If they need to get an acting coach and if they need to replace the directors to make this a great movie, awesome. Do whatever you got to do. The other, part of, the other part of me is like, that's a lot of big stuff to change when you're close to the finish line. Mm-hmm. So... I, I'm not, I mean, I'm hoping that this movie turns out well. I'm, I'm going to go into this movie with, you know, trying to be a blank slate of expectations, but. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you know, I'm guessing that that stuff's not cheap to do. Right. You know, so I suppose in one sense you could look at it and say, well, hey, Disney, they're trying to do it right. They understand that, like, they're going to have you know, Wookiees and Stormtroopers and Force Wielders descend upon their houses if they screw up as beloved of a franchise or a character as Han Solo in Star Wars. So at least they're saying uh, this, you know, as opposed to we're just going to fire this movie out there and maybe that's not what we really wanted or maybe that's not the image that we, you know, that the fans want of Han Solo. We're just going to get it out there because we can't afford to do any different. I mean, they, they kind of blew it. Right. Whereas now they're saying, you know what, this is just, this is not going the right direction. We are going to like, you know, we're going to stop it. We're going to get the thing back on the tracks. We're going to write the ship and, you know, we're going to redo. So, I mean, you know, maybe if, if you're looking for a ray of hope from, you know, some guy that has absolutely nothing to do with the making of the movie, maybe that's it. It's just that they're, 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 they're pulling it back and they're going to, they're going to fire it out again because it's just like, guys, this is not what we want. This is not any good. Yeah, and I'm I, I'm wondering if they are also worried that if they screw this one up, will people will people backtrack and say, oh, well then maybe Rogue One was just a fluke. Mm-hmm. Like maybe if the Han Solo movie is no good, then well maybe they just got lucky with Rogue One, and and we're going to be cautious about the next few uh, next few Star Wars spinoff movies that come out. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm still I'm still excited for it. I my my butt will be in the seat when the movie comes out. So I mean, it's not, this is not changing my, when the movie has star Wars in the title, I'm going to be there. So it's not changing whether or not I go to this movie. Um, and I'm, I think I'm just going to have to remind myself that now with Disney having control of star Wars, we're going to get a star Wars movie probably every year going forward for the rest of our lives. And Mm -hmm. they're not all going to be rock stars. So I'm, I'm hoping that they are. I'm hoping that they're good. And this stuff, I guess, makes me a little bit nervous. But at the same time, like I said before, I didn't freak out when they said they had to redo a whole bunch of Rogue One. So I'm trying not to freak out with this one, too. I, I think it'll be okay. I think it's going to be all right. I think there are a lot of people that are kind of trying to I be the... I have to admit uh, to being already concerned about this movie, and this does not mm-hmm. make me feel any better about it. I mean, I was concerned when they said it was going to be a Han Solo movie. If they were going to do spin-off characters, spin-off movies, I really didn't necessarily want them to do the the big 3. Um, right. You know, I would be I would be totally fine what I would love for them to do is to do an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie that takes place between 3 and 4. 
Yeah. That yeah, I'd be that cool. I'd be cool with. That's the only I think that's the only major character I would probably want to see in their spin-off movie. So I I will admit also that when they announced it was going to be Han Solo, I'm like, yeah, that's that's a character we already know a lot about. Maybe we need to go do somebody else. I was excited, but tentatively, because my yeah. concern has always been for me, I loved the Han Solo books. There were two sets of three. Yeah, there were the older three and then the newer three. Right, which were all very good and told an amazing story of, you know, how the smuggler became the smuggler. Mm -hmm. And my concern started with how are they going to screw that up? (laughs) Yeah. So hopefully they won't. (laughs) That's, That's my hope. That's my hope. All right. So Disney, since you're listening, please don't screw it up. <laughs> do do whatever you got to do and make it good. Well, I not really new movie, but um, Wonder Woman. There was a yeah. uh, um, uh, what's it called? Public Radio does this thing called the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you guys check that out or not. Um, here, here's the shameless plug. I mean, if you get the NPR One app, it's one of the ones featured on there. And on one of their episodes from the last week or so, maybe it was a couple weeks ago. Anyways, they, um, they did a review of Wonder Woman. And I thought it was, I mean, I know that one, we already did a Wonder Woman show. And obviously, people tuning into this might not want that spoiled. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep everything spoiler less or non-spoiler. But they hit some really interesting, um, they hit some really interesting points. Some of which was stuff that we had discussed. Um, some of it is what we had discussed, but they hit it from a different angle. And here, I, this may be a, a slight, we've all seen it, right? Were we all there for the Wonder Woman thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, then I'm just going to give everyone a second to turn down the radios so that I, they don't spoil the Wonder Woman. Okay, so they talked about the, the slow-mo in the battle sequences. Yeah. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow, this is pretty interesting. But it wasn't like, it wasn't like um, from a standpoint of, well, it took me out of the movie. But they were like discussing the battle sequences in that movie. And they were talking about like, oh, well, you know, this is why I think they used at that much slow-mo. Or this is what, and they had three or four different hosts, and like each person hit it from a different reason as to why the slow mo was included in there. And um, it, you know, a couple people talked just formulaic, like, well, that was the action movie style, and maybe they were following in the footsteps of this director or that director or something. Mm-hmm. And then one person was talking about how because it was a lot of female combat, you know, uh, they were they were focusing more on what was it ballet and one other thing that are like stereotypically or gymnastics that are like stereotypically uh, uh, um, traditionally uh, more rooted towards, you know, female participants. And so they really slowed that down to give you that sense and to, to put that out there and to kind of send an image of, Oh, well, you know, even though these things are traditionally female, they can be really cool too. And they can really, Hmm. you know, kick butt and blah, 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 blah. But again, they related it all back to the slow-mo and like it or not, it just added in a, you know, a different dimension to what we discussed. Yeah. And then there was people, you know, a couple guys were talking about like, 
oh, well, you know, it didn't go far enough with the feminist message or, oh, it went just right or, oh, it should have done this or, well, traditionally Wonder Woman was a, this kind of character and they were like, oh, yeah, but then when so-and-so took over writing the comics, they switched to do this kind of a character. So the, I think the, the people were pretty informed. Again, I don't need to rehash the whole thing, but if you can check out even just that, like, 15, 20 minute clip of the pop culture happy hour. It has a cool review of Wonder Woman. Okay. Awesome. Listen to our review first and then go over there. Exactly. There you go. Did that get enough of a, like a spoiler? Like, I don't want to screw anything up for people. Oh yeah. No, no, I don't think you, I don't think you spoiled anything. Okay, good. Yeah. I, cause you didn't mention that, um, that, uh, uh, Batman shows up at the end of the movie and does this whole dance routine. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. As long as you don't give that away, I think it's fine. What was that that you What was that that you said coming out of Star Wars? I can't believe Obi Wan. Or what did you say? That was when I went to go see Episode One, and I went to the midnight show, and I'm walking out of the midnight show at like two forty five in the morning. Right. I can't believe Obi Wan died. I can't believe Obi Wan died, and then some guy waiting for the three a.m. show is like, "Shut up!" I'm like, "Would you?" Oh, I remember that. That was awesome. I'm like, you know, okay, I I get it's three o'clock in the morning. I get it, but would you think for just a second before you react? Because I'm just being a dork. So. Uh, All right. Uh, last thing, real quick, on the Wonder Woman thing. Wonder Woman is now uh, the third highest-grossing DC movie behind uh, the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises. Wow! So good for Wonder Woman. And okay, and I read today, uh, even the uh, the head of Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige. Uh, he came out with a, a quote and said that the, cause normally sometimes you get this back and forth of, you know, our movies are better and DC is better and Marvel's better. Um, the head of Marvel, um, the head of the Marvel cinematic stuff, uh, Kevin Feige came out and said, you know what? This is awesome. Like the success of Wonder Woman. Great. This now totally disproves all those people that said you can't have a solo female superhero movie. So right. it, was, it was just kind of nice to see the guys from the other side of the aisle where, you know, they were happy about the, the success of the movie. Now I'm just going to ask the question, dark Knight, dark Knight rises, all that. That counts as DC movies. That does not count as DC movies. It, I, it counts as DC because they're DC characters, but it's not part of the DC EU. Gotcha. Okay. So this, in the same way that the, you know, the X-Men movies originally, um, and even like the Logan movies, the Wolverine movies, those are all Marvel. You'd call those Marvel movies, but they're not part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But they tech, but technically they could be. They could be like the right. I guess they they could out. be, but then you'd also have to like explain. All right. Well, then when this happened in New York, why were the X Men not there, or why did the Avengers not show up? And it just they didn't. They never planned for those to be the same universe. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, that'd be the only reason why. All right. Uh, shall we start running? Yes. See, and yes. when I say it that way, this may, that makes me nervous because I am definitely not a runner. <laughs> if I had to be in this, I think I'd be dead in like the first five minutes. Oh, yeah. You'd be cannon fodder. Mm-hmm. I would, I would never make it. All right. So this time around, we are looking at The Running Man. Oh, I, I don't know that I gave our whole little spiel of we spoil the movie. So if you don't want to be spoiled, then go watch it. Come back. Um, and now you've heard it. So we'll move on. Uh, we are talking spiel done. Um, we are talking about the running man, which came out on the 31st of November in 1987, uh, just 30 years before the world economy would collapse and all this stuff would go wrong. And, <clears throat> uh, rated R 
for several obvious reasons. Um, one hour and 41 minutes is the runtime. The director is Paul Michael Glasser. Is it Glasser or Glazer? I'm going to go with Glazer. Uh, he was Starsky and Hutch. He was one of the actors and the director of several episodes of Starsky and Hutch. He was in the air. He was a director of the air up there and Kazam, uh, producer of this. What's that? That poor, poor man. I know. Uh, producers on this one, George Linder, who did the TV movie Bates Motel and she, me and her. Uh, Tim Zinneman also did Pet Cemetery, Street Fighter, and The Island of Dr. Moreau. Writers on this one, Stephen King wrote the novel under the uh, pen name Richard Bachman. Uh, he yeah, also how many did, novels did he write as Richard Bachman? Does anyone know? I, I want, did not I, know that about him. I want to say it was like eight. Wow. So here's the I did a little bit of I did a little bit of quick research on that. So this is kind of the interesting thing. He wrote, I, I want to say it's like a series of eight novels under the pen name Richard Bachman, because at that point he, I mean, he was popular at that point. And I guess he, I think he had a couple of reasons why he decided to do this. He wanted to see, well, first of all, I guess publishers at the time did not want the writers doing more than one novel a year because they felt the public would then feel that those novels weren't quality. Ah. So if you're churning out more than one, they can't possibly be good. So publishers had kind of this, I don't know that it was an actual rule, but they had kind of this rule that they said no more than one novel a year. So Stephen King wanted to get around that because he's a novel writing machine. He also wanted to know whether his success at that point in his life was just because of his name or was it because he was actually still a good writer. So he decided, I'm going to come up with this you know, fake name and I'm going to write some novels, uh, maybe slightly different than my other horror novels, but you know, kind of along the same lines. I'm going to come up with this fake name and I'm going to write novels under this name and I want to see if they're still as successful as my other books. And so he did. So he made up this name. Um, and I think like one of his publicists or something, they used his photo for the, the dust jacket of all the books. And, uh, and then they released these books under the name Richard Bachman. And I think that it, it vindicated him because he was still, they were still very popular. Um, I think that they sold quite a bit, but then once it was discovered that this was Stephen King, they sold even more. So, um, and I believe that something I read uh, while I was looking up stuff on this one, I believe that when they bought the movie rights to this book, uh, they had no idea that it was Stephen King. Yeah, I saw that too. That's what yeah. made me think, I wonder how many books he wrote as this dude. Yeah. So when you see, yeah, when you see it in the credits, I, I'm pretty certain in the credits it says the novel by Richard Bachman. It says nothing about mm-hmm. Stephen King because I don't think it was publicly released that this was Stephen King until – Maybe the later 80s or even early 90s. Okay, so the economist in me wants to know, all right, you write a book under a pseudonym, you sell it to your publisher, your publisher knows who wrote it, they're going to send you the right check. Right. When the movie guy options this book by a guy he's never heard of, and the credits are to a guy that doesn't exist, you still get paid. (laughs) Oh, I bet you do. At, at that point in time, if you're Stephen King and if you have a halfway decent agent with a pulse, I'm I'm sure he got paid. Which then, of course, brings up the when you paid to option the book, you had to write the check to Richard Bachman, who's not a real person. How did you not figure out that this was Stephen King? Maybe they, maybe the check was written to the publisher. Oh, there you go. Could be. I don't know how long. There you go, bringing logic into the equation. I know. Jesus. I know. I I will attempt to stop doing that. <laughs> 
Well, it's sort of like that thing in the Shawshank Redemption, right? Right, where the you know he had like the pseudonym guy or whatever that was, you know, collecting all the whatever. So when he broke, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Wait a minute. Who wrote Shawshank Redemption? Stephen King. Bam! There you go. There you go. I was gonna say there's a coincidence here. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah. So Stephen King also wrote Shawshank Redemption, The Shining, It, and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, the screenplay for this one was written by Stephen E. D'Souza, uh, who also did the screenplay for Commando, Die Hard 1 and 2, and Judge Dredd. Uh, oh. Music was done that by... That is an impressive resume. I know. Well, I was going to look at that. I looked at those names. I was like, you know what? This is like every movie that Pat really likes. <laughs> I was it's, that's like the combination an idiot would have on his luggage. Right. That's amazing. That's the one, combination two, three, I've got four, on my five. luggage. It's amazing. Uh, music was done by Harold Faltermeyer, who also did Beverly Hills Cop, Fletch, and Top Gun. Uh, an uncredited co-composer was Vassal Benford, who also did the music for New Jack City, House Party 2, and The Sixth Man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I totally forgot to do, and I'm going to do that really fast right now, was look up the budget in the box office. Uh, oh, I, could, I might have that. Hold on. Actually, I got it right here. Uh, budget was okay. $27 million and box office was $38 million, uh, U.S., yeah, I was going to say, it did pretty good. So it did pretty well. Time. Arnold Schwarzenegger played Ben Richards, the uh, butcher, was he the butcher of Bakersfield? Mm-hmm. Yeah, butcher of Bakersfield, Ben Richards. Uh, he was in the Terminator movies, Predator, Total Recall, Commando, uh, and the governor of California. Uh, the Maria, The Maria Conchita Alonso played Amber Mendez. She was in Predator 2, The House of the Spirits. Yafet Kato played William Laughlin. He was in Alien, Live and Let Die, and Homicide Life on the Street. Jim Brown played Fireball. He was in The Dirty Dozen, Any Given Sunday, and Mars Attacks. Uh, Jesse Ventura played Captain Freedom. He was in Predator, WWF, Demolition Man, and was the governor of Minnesota. We're a very political movie. Aren't we, though? Mm-hmm. Uh, Erland Van Litt, who died in 1987, just a little bit after this movie was released. Uh, actually, he died before this movie was released. Uh, he played Dynamo. He was in Stir Crazy and Alone in the Dark. Marvin J. McIntyre played Harold Weiss. He was in Silverado, Short Circuit, and Back to the Future Part 3. Gus Rethwish was Buzzsaw. He was in Twins, The Scorpion King, and House 2, The Second Story. Professor Toru Takanata... Tak- mm, back it up. Strike that. Reverse <laughs> it. Professor Toru Tanaka, who died in 2000, played Sub-Zero. He was in Pee-Wee's Big Adventure, Last Action Hero, and Darkman. Dweezil Zappa, great name. Uh, Isn't played, it though? I love it. Uh, played Stevie. He was in Pretty in Pink, Jack Frost, and Duckman. Mick Fleetwood, uh, yes, it's from Fleetwood Mac. Uh, played Mick. He was from Fleetwood Mac from a movie called Zero Tolerance and another movie called Snide and Prejudice. And then finally, <laughs> Richard Dawson, who died in 2012, was Damon Killian. He was the host of Family Feud, The Match Game, and he was in Hogan's Heroes. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics gave it a 63%. Audience gives it a 60%. Uh, The Variety staff said, Schwarzenegger sadistically dispatches the baddies, enunciating typical wisecrack remarks, many repeated from his previous films, but it's all too easy. Roger Ebert from the Sun-Times gave it two and a half stars out of four and said, the movie's problem is that all the action scenes are versions of the same scenario. CinemaScore gave it a B-. The only award that it won was a Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actor for Richard Dawson. And the story behind this one, America is a totalitarian state where the favorite television program is The Apprentice. I'm, I'm sorry, The Running Man. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a, I'm sure it's a Freudian slip. 
Um, a game show in which prisoners must run to freedom to avoid a brutal death. Having been made a scapegoat by the government, an imprisoned Ben Richards has the opportunity to make it back to the outside again by being a contestant. A contestant. I don't know what a contestant is. Um, it's something you steer boats with. Yes. Uh, by being a contestant on the deadly show, although the twisted host, Damon Killian, has no intention of letting him escape. In the year 2017, an innocent man accused of a crime has a choice. Hard time or prime time. Sensational. Perfect contestant. I want him. He must pay or play the running man. On your mark. I'll be back. Go! The highest rated TV show in history. Guess they want us to stay. It's a game between life and death. Can you lift? Arnold Schwarzenegger is the running man. He's playing for a prize. The prize is his life. Out with the life. The running man. All right, so many people who worked with Richard Dawson uh, on the game show Family Feud in the 1970s said that in real life, Dawson was kind of like his character, Damon Killian, in terms of how he handled uh, people that worked for him. Yeah, they basically say he's a prick. Yeah. I was going to use a different word, but then I forgot we're a family show. That's fine. It's it's all the same thing. Um, This film inspired TV's American Gladiators. Which you can see. Which I think is awesome. That makes me happy. That's a, that was a great show. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I love that. It was so fun. Yes, it was. And see, I would be dead in the first five minutes of this show. I, I kind of feel like I might last six or seven minutes on American Gladiators. Kind of depended on what... Uh if it's the... the, the what games what, you got. I mean, what, was no, the, I mean, what was the event called the, where they had the, the giant joust. Q-tip? What was it called when you fight people, the giant Q-tip? Joust. Was that the Joust. Yeah, the joust I was pretty good at. Okay, yeah, because see, Dennis and I did that during a school um, assembly one time. When we did, we had a whole bunch of inflatable things that we had ordered, and that was one of the inflatable things that we ordered. And I think I actually tore his hamstring. <laughs> Wait, hold on. You tore Dennis's hamstring. If I remember right. Now, Dennis, if Dennis is listening to this, which he probably is not, but if Dennis is listening to this, he can correct me on this. I'm pretty certain that he and I, I think we were tied. Um, I don't know if it was you had to knock the other person off three times. I think he had knocked me off twice, and I think I had knocked him off twice. And so we were pretty much going at it for this final final go-round. And I feel like he almost had me, and he just, I don't know if it was that he stretched too far in one way, and I guess he said that something, he just felt something in his legs snap. Oh, no. And it was, and I think just as it snapped, I also kind of wheeled it around and I might've hit him in the leg at the same time. Oh, man. And I remember he was not in good shape. And I, I think he like, mm. I think he ended up going to the hospital or going to the doctor right after that. And 
he had torn something pretty badly. So I'm not going to say that's my fault. I'm going to say that's his fault for being old. Yes, I would agree with that. Okay, good. Now that we're all in agreement, we'll go on. Uh, the big dance number at the start of the Running Man show was choreographed by Paula Abdul. Nice. Uh, apparently, there were a lot of directors, so much like the Han Solo movie, this one was the rotating door of directors. Uh, prior to Paul Michael Glazer being hired as a director, um, they had hired about four other directors in an attempt to make the movie. Uh, one of them was George P. Cosmatos, who had done uh, Rambo First Blood Part Two just a couple years before this. Um, let's see. Another one was a German director named Carl Schenkel. Ferdinand Fairfax was another one who did a movie in 1983 called Savage Islands. Uh, Andrew Davis was another one who had done a movie called Code of Silence in 1985. So apparently they, and, and I guess Davis was the one that started the movie. Um, and then after like one week into the filming, he was already $8 million over budget. And so they fired him. Yeah. So not a good call. Yeah. Um, Oh, uh, the Running Man game show scene in the film was based on an early 1980s Japanese game show called Trans-American Ultra Quiz, in which contestants were tortured in various ways. The prize went to whichever contestant could stand the pain or humiliation the longest. Nice. Ah, uh, Japan. Okay. All right, well, that's all I've got for background on the movie. Um, let me ask you first, when was the first time you saw this? Because, Pat, I think you just said before we started recording that the first time you saw this was a year ago. Yeah, it was about a, like, I think. When, I just this damn thing. I could go home. I, yeah, it was, it was like, uh, yeah, it was about a year ago. I think when it was last on Netflix, I was just kind of going through the whole, you might like this title and it popped up and I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember hearing about this movie, but I think I will like this title. I, 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 I think I will. Yeah. I, I do like this title and, and it's got Arnold and, I was thinking back when we did Commando and that was awesome. And I watched it and I'm just like, again, why, why have I not seen this movie? It's great. So yeah, the first time I saw it was just about a year, year and a half ago. Okay. Uh, Bo, when was the first time you saw it? Oh, wow. Um, many, many moons ago I saw it and so long ago, in fact, that I had transposed events from this movie with, Events from another movie, I had sort of blended them together. So watching it this time around was kind of like watching it for the first time again, um, piecing it all back together. But there were certain scenes that stick out, even having not seen it for so long. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was particularly moving when Arnold stands up at that one point and uh, volunteers as tribute. Yes. <laughs> I, thought that was, I thought that was very emotional. It was a very emotionally heavy scene. Well, and then Mr. Miyagi taught him how to paint the fence, so, you know. Right, right. All good. You know. And then Howard the Duck walked out as the final stalker of the game. Yes. Except he misunderstood. He understood what it meant to be a stalker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the first time I saw this, I, as a kid, I, I had this time. I, I went through these different phases where I was on a, a particular kick. Like, for a while, I was watching a whole bunch of, I think, like, Round about the time, and, and you know what? Actually, that one's 20 years old. It's almost, it's like today or yesterday, maybe. Um, Face Off is, I think, about 20 years old this week. No sometime. way. Yeah, way. And so I think because of Face Off oh, and Pulp I'm Fiction, um, I had this whole stretch of time in like the mid to late 90s where I was watching a whole bunch of John Travolta movies. 
Mm-hmm. And I remember in middle school, which would have been about the first time I saw this, I had this whole stretch of time where I had gotten introduced to Terminator 2. And because of Terminator 2, I was watching a whole stretch from like most of middle school, uh, a whole stretch of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. So that's probably about the first time that may have been, I'm trying to remember the first time I saw Commando. I'd have to go back and listen to our show and see what I said there. Um, but I feel like Terminator, Terminator 2, um, Running Man, Kindergarten Cop, like a lot of the, a lot of the, probably Commando, um, but a lot of Predator, a lot of the other Arnold movies, I think I would have seen those round about that middle school, early high school time. Um, so we're, we're talking early 90s. It's when I would have seen this one. And that sounds about right for me, too, when you say that, because I'm thinking Predator, it's about the same time. Getting heavy into the Terminator series, it was like, okay, this is good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think I saw Predator when I was 10. Oh, my. <laughs> that was, well, that was the, that was the uncle. That was the uncle that would show me things before I was supposed to watch them. This is your uncle again. Yeah, that was the time that he was, uh, I guess, all of the adults. We were staying at my grandmother's house, and all of the adults, uh, I don't know, they all went somewhere. And he was going to stay with us, and he had rented a couple of movies to watch with all the kids. Keeping in mm-hmm. mind that if I was 10, then that means my mm-hmm. little brother was two, mm-hmm. and he would have been the youngest of the kids. There were probably about six or seven of us out of all the grandkids. And so we would have been in, in the range from two, maybe even a little bit younger than two, but from two on up to I was either 10 or 11 and I'm the next to oldest of all the cousins. And my uncle went out and he rented a couple of movies to watch with us while all the other adults are going to be gone. And he rented Terminator two and predator. Wonderful. I was like, Oh, this is fun. <laughs> and I remember enjoying the movies. I, the other little kids were kind of terrified, but I enjoyed them. Yeah. Hey, rock on man. So, so yeah, that's probably the first time I saw a predator, but this one I think was probably Sometime around middle school. I was probably 12 or 13 by the time I saw this one. Yeah. And this is the kind of movie, this is one of the kind of movies that I always really liked was, if it's not a, my wheelhouse is like time travel movies and dystopian future movies. Okay. So I'm always a fan of like, if there's some alternate timeline and you get to see how things worked out slightly differently, or, you know, if it's just slightly in the future and you can see how things have totally gone wrong, then that's, you know, back to the future too. I love that one when that one came out because I got to see all of it. I got my time travel. I got my dystopian future uh, or dystopian alternate 1985. Um, But yeah, I I remember really liking this uh, when I was a kid. It's good stuff. So I sent you guys a couple of questions uh, a little while ago and I just want to kind of get to, Get your take on some of this. Um, I'm going to start with this one. Which of these is better? Do you think the Running Man is better or the Hunger Games? Wow. Because, and I'll, I'll give you some time to think about that one. Well, um, how are you? I don't yeah, know. You, yeah, yeah. That's really hard because me and uh, the pro- Arnold is so young in his career in this movie. And he is a little stiff at times. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard sometimes for me to get over that and evaluate the story without going, Oh boy. Mm-hmm. 
as much as I enjoy the story, because like you, I do enjoy a good dystopian tale. Um, well, which, which do you think was better executed then? Ooh, well, I might, I might say the hunger games, but I, I want to let my brain delve into the themes and meaning a little deeper for a couple seconds. But okay. if you ask me just first off the cuff, I would say the hunger games. Okay. I, I guess I would agree with that. And I think, I, I, I mean, I hate to use the cliche of apples and oranges, but I think it's apples mm. and oranges and, and I'll go ahead and use that cliche and, and take it a little bit deeper in that was this was based off a book, correct? Did we, I hear that? Loosely. Um, I, I tried to okay. look up real quick. I have not read the book and I tried to look up some of the differences and there are yeah. some pretty noticeable differences between the book and the movie. Okay. Um, because, and, and I would, I would hazard a guess that like all movies do, you know, you got to convert the book a little bit to make it fit for the movie. But this almost seemed to be like, okay, well, we're going to make, and I, and I love it. So this is not meant to be an insult in any way, shape or form, but we are going to make basically the traditional or the stereotypical Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, but as opposed to setting him where he's trying to rescue his daughter or whether he's teaching kindergarten undercover or whether, okay, now he's going to be in a dystopian future. Yeah. I, I, it just, it, it seemed to be like, okay, that was their motivation, but then they set it to be another Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle. Whereas on the flip side, I think Hunger Games, that movie was supposed to, basically they were trying to bring that book to life. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it was like, they, they, and so I, I think the, the movies, they just, they kind of had a different mission in life. I mean, and, and so the, the Hunger Games maybe seemed like a more complete or emotional or whatever thing yes. because it was a more advanced, a more worked out, a more hashed out world. And obviously it, it didn't quite have a happy ending, whereas an Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle has a happy ending. It was almost like here, like... Um, uh, remember Last Action Hero, where he jumps out of the movie <laughs> and he helps the kid? Mm-hmm. Remember how yeah. the kid would sit there and daydream, and he'd just imagine, well, what happens if, you know, whatever the Schwarzenegger character was, uh, what was it, Jack? Uh, whatever his name was. Yeah. The kid would yeah. daydream and say, well, what happens if, you know, he showed up in my class, or he showed up in this movie, Hamlet? That's kind of what it seemed like with those Schwarzenegger movies. Okay, they were going to take it, oh my gosh, this horrible dystopian future, but now we're going to turn it on our ear, we're going to put our superhero in there, and he's going to whoop up on everybody and set it right. It's tongue-in-cheek, it's lighter, it's supposed to be fun, it's supposed to be that like kid daydreaming saying, hey man, I'm not going to take any flack from the man, we're going to put Schwarzenegger in there and he's going to, you know, he's going to kick butt. Whereas in Hunger Games... It was supposed to be, it, it, it didn't have that tongue-in-cheek kind of thing. It, it was a more developed world. It was, okay, we're not going to sit there and have a daydream and some all-conquering hero is going to come in. This is supposed to be a little bit more um, heavy-duty, a little bit more emotionally, uh, um, a little bit more emotional, a little bit more uh, deadly. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It just, they, they seem to be different things. I can agree with that so yeah i think i think the thing that i really liked about the hunger games and i that i think maybe was 
you know, I, and I don't even know that that was necessarily supposed to be a part of this movie. Um, the thing I liked about the Hunger Games was that it, it had very much of a a social message to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that you had the different districts, and they, you know, they really kind of reflected different aspects of society. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think this movie is more of a it's it's more of a criticism of reality TV, even though, you know, in 1987, there really wasn't a lot of reality no, TV. How well did they just hit 2017 right on my head? Oh, they called it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and that, that I guess makes it even a little more scary is how accurately, you know, other short of killing people. Cause as far as I know, we don't really kill people on our reality shows, but, um, that we know of that we know of. I sometimes those American Ninja Warriors don't come back. So how about it? Yeah. I mean, think about it. Even the flat panel TVs around, all like it was eerie watching it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, like they wouldn't even they wouldn't really have to even like remake this movie. You could no, just put just it back out in theaters and recolorize it, right? Remaster it and call it a day. Well, how so far do, how far is it from reality? I mean, I'm sorry, John. Did you I, did you finish your thought? I didn't mean to. No, I, I was just going to say, I think, I think one thing that maybe pushes story-wise, I think I like The Hunger Games better because I think the story was a little more complex in The Hunger Games. I think it went a little bit deeper with social issues. Um, mm-hmm. So story-wise, I think I like The Hunger Games. And even maybe action-wise, I, I think, because I do, as much as I really like this movie, I do agree with uh, Ebert's assessment of it when he says, you know what, the action is great, but it's all kind of just a repeat of the same situation. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of, I know the movie's called the running man, but it's a lot of Arnold running and then he outwits the other guys. And it's, it tends to be very similar each time. Whereas but, I feel like if I was going to compare this to the hunger games, which I feel like that's an okay comparison, even, even though, like you said, it's apples and oranges. I think it's still the, the bones are still similar enough that you can compare the two. And right, I reality think, television mm-hmm. definitely designed for to be viewed by people. I mean, right, yeah. and to keep to keep the populace under control and mm-hmm. to keep them from rioting and realizing how badly the government is is taking control of their lives. And so, I, I think story wise, and I even think action sequence wise, I think I've got to give it to The Hunger Games mm-hmm. as being a better movie. But I still enjoy this movie for what it is. Like, I still love this movie for. You know that it's an it, it's so much an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Um, if they tried to he remake even says this, I'll be back. I mean, oh, I know. <laughs> I, if they tried to remake this today, I don't know that I would watch this with anybody else in the role. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, our buddy The Rock, though. I mean, come on. Well, I, yeah, that's true. Okay, I could handle that. Yeah, well, he, think about those. Think about The Rock eyes. Think about when he would turn to the camera. Yeah, that would work after he. After he sliced up um, Chainsaw Guy. Um, mm-hmm, buzzsaw? Buzzsaw. He slices up Buzzsaw. He had to split. to the camera and gives you rock eyes, and then he moves on. Come yeah. on. What happened to Buzzsaw? He had to split. Ba-dum-bum. <laughs> yeah. So, Pat, what, were, what were you going to say? I, I interrupted you. He had you. to split. What were you going to say, Pat? Governator. Pat, what were you going to say? Well, no, I, just so much floating through my mind and, and all that. But no, I, I get, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. I was just going to say the comparison to 2017 is uh, I was just, you know, 
I was going to make a joke about the NFL. I mean, that's kind of oh, like, sure. I mean, that's kind of mm-hmm. what that's all about. I mean, sure, they don't go out there to kill each other, but they so, kind of go out there to kill each other. Sometimes they and get I close. Mean, I mean, we, we, we kind of love it. You know what I'm saying? It's just yeah. like, okay, well, we don't just want him to make it illegal. Yeah. We, you know, we don't want him to make an illegal hit, but, uh, you know, I, you sure want to smack the crap out of the guy so he doesn't come back in the game. And it's always just like, you know, I think there's even been jokes on Saturday Night Live and all that, that, you know, when it's like you can get real angry about something or real fed up with something. And, hey, wait, what time's the game on tonight? And suddenly, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's that whole thing. So I think that was a little bit more of maybe what they were trying to explore with the running man than, you know, like a whole society and, and like you said, a complex society that you had in the Hunger Games where, you know, they were using this to keep the populate, population under control and had these kids pitted against each other. This was just kind of, you know, like a different take. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. Um, so if you had to, fa- so, so in this movie, he goes through and he takes down the, the stalkers one at a time and uh, different, uh, like I said, different from the book. In fact, you know what, before I, I get into going through each of the stalkers that he takes down, uh, here's what I found. And I think I got this from, this might've been from Wikipedia. This might've been from one of the other websites. Um, I'm going to run through really quickly, just give some of the differences between the book and the movie. And then, then we can go into some of the, the stuff with the individual stalkers. Uh, so some of the differences is the novel takes place in the year 2025. Um, this movie is supposed to take place in, uh, starts in 2017, and the most of the events of the movie take place in 2019. Um, the film takes place in California. The novel takes place, uh, I guess, on the northeastern coast of the United States. Um, he is in New York. Let's see, he's in New York. He's in Boston. New Hampshire. Well, yeah, of course uh, it takes place out there. Stephen King wrote it. Right. Right. Um, and I guess he, uh, Richards enters the game willingly as opposed to being forced to, uh, because he's trying to get money for his, uh, sick, um, baby daughter. And Insert they, volunteer, volunteers tribute right. comment here. Uh, he is deemed an enemy of the state and receives a hundred dollars for every hour. He stays alive over a period of 30 days. Uh, and he will get an additional $100 for every law enforcement officer or hunter that he kills. Um, and he will receive $1 billion in new dollars, worth far more than the original American dollars. Um, as opposed to being confined to the site of an earthquake in California in the film, Richards can travel anywhere in the world to evade the hunters, but must videotape two messages per day and courier them to the games network or forfeit his money. Uh, Richards is a Caucasian male and shows signs of racism early on in the novel, but is taken in by the Throckmortons, an African-American family in Boston. And after he's told of the situation the government forces them to live in, he decides to help them. Uh, Laughlin is a Caucasian, as opposed to in the movie, who's African-American. He enters the tournament willingly as well. Um, Laughlin eventually dies in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, Dan Killian, his name is Dan instead of Damon, uh, Dan Killian is an African-American and he is the producer of the running man, not the host. Um, the only hunter in the novel that is ever named, uh, is a hunter named Evan McCone. Uh, he is the chief hunter. Um, eventually Richards, uh, shoots and kills him. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, the ending, I guess, is a little more depressing in the novel. Um, 
He Richards carjacks a woman, uh, steals her car, and hijacks a plane uh, where he takes the chief, he takes McCone, the chief hunter, hostage. Um, just as it is in the film, Richards is given a chance to become the lead hunter uh, by Killian, replacing McCone. Um, and in the book, it uh, looks like Richards actually accepts the offer. Um, and then afterwards, he is later given the news that both his wife and daughter had been killed before he had even first appeared on The Running Man, um, giving him a little bit of time to rethink his offer. And then feeling that he has nothing left to lose, Richards overpowers the flight crew on the plane. He kills McCone, the chief hunter, but he is mortally wounded in the process. Uh, he sets the woman that he carjacked and took hostage. He sets her free by pushing her out of the plane in a parachute. Uh, and he makes a suicide run on the games building in New York, killing Killian and everyone inside and himself. Hmm. So that's a slightly more depressing ending. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, they, if, if they would have made that movie, or, or if they would have made that story into a movie, I think you'd have a little bit better of a, of a comparison between that and the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. But it, again, I think when they, when they made they made this movie. I think it was just like, wow, cool. Let's use that. Now we're going to make an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Right. Well, we're going to base it on that dystopian future type thing, but we're going to make an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Right. And so you get these hunters, you get the, the stalkers that are a little more colorful characters. Um, and, uh, and I, I think that was probably one of the things that I liked about this movie when I first watched it was just how ridiculous the stalkers were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got, Dynamo, who is the opera singing stalker uh, mm-hmm. who electrocutes people. You've got Buzzsaw, the guy with the chainsaw that'll cut through anything. Um, you've got Sub-Zero, um, the crazed hockey player with the razor-sharp hockey stick. Um, you've got, who else was the? Fireball. Fireball. Uh, Fireball Jim Brown. The world's mm-hmm. lead, the leading rusher. Leading rusher, yep. Um, and then you don't really ever see him, but you've got the, uh, captain, what was his name? Captain. Oh, shoot. Oh, captain. Now that I Wonderful. said that, I like keep wanting yeah. to say captain America, but it's not, um, That's, captain it freedom, even red, white, and blue. Like it was even, yeah, he's captain you know, freedom trying to be annoying. That's it. Yep. Captain Freedom. Yep. Um, which you don't ever really see him fight, but there it is. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that was the colorful characters of this, the the stalkers being so outlandish, I think was probably one of the things that I liked as a kid and even as an adult going back and rewatching it again. I'm like, you know what? These guys are so ridiculous. That's what makes it fun. It's WWF. Right. It's WWF. It's, it's American gladiators. It's, it's that kind of thing. So, so here's my question for you. And, and you can answer this one of two different ways. Uh, do you have a favorite of the stalkers or if you had to fight one of the stalkers, which one would you rather fight? Oh, hmm. well, if I had to fight one, I want the, um, shoot. I should have written this down. I knew it. Uh, dynamo. Okay. Yeah. Why do you pick dynamo? Because, well, cause he lights up like a Christmas tree. It's not like he's going to sneak up on you. <laughs> okay, that's true. You see him yeah. coming. And all he had to do was squirt him with some water. Mm-hmm. That's true, too. So I definitely would want to fight Dynamo. Okay. My favorite might be Fireball, though. Oh, okay. Why is... Part of that is because it's Jim Brown. Because of Jim Brown? Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Fireball is pretty cool. Okay. Pat, which although one would you, you pick? Although you have to admit the, the option of 
Jesse Ventura versus Arnold Schwarzenegger, Minnesota versus California. There is something about that mm-hmm. just now, in concept that makes it awesome. And I do like the, I mean, I like the twist of the way they did it in the movie where, where it was a fake, it was a, a stunt double that mm-hmm. he ended up fighting. But I think, I think that it could have been a really cool ending to actually have that. And I wonder if they ever planned that out and just didn't do it to actually have the two of them fight for real. Cause yeah, I feel that, like, I feel like that could have been a good, you know, extra battle at the ending. If you wanted to, you know, he, I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe he, maybe he shows up and that's when they storm the the studio at the end of the movie. And maybe at first captain freedom, you know, starts fighting him. And then at some point, instead of having the security guard, just say, oh, I got to go store, score some steroids. Maybe you can have the mm-hmm. two of them fight. And then captain freedom turns and, you know, takes Arnold's side and something like that. I kind of feel like the whole captain freedom character was a little wasted. Yeah, it was odd. I mean, I guess you needed that final guy to fight the stunt double, but yeah. By the way, not to not to digress too much, but another eerie prediction of the future with the whole being able to digitally redo something hot on the heels of Rogue One mm-hmm. and all the other things happening right now. Yeah. A, a creepy rewatch. Yeah, I did think about that this time. I was like, you know what? That we actually have all of we that can technology. Do that now we oh, can Christ. we can rebuild them. <laughs> hey, hey guys, I got a question for you, and I'm going to go off on a tangent, and we can edit this out if it doesn't make any sense. But I'm I'm listening to our discussion, and hey, what would happen if we reshot this movie today? And how would we replace this? You know, how would we replace Arnold Schwarzenegger, and so on and so forth? Okay, so here's my question for you. It seems like back in the day. It, it it would always be like, what's the late? What's like going to be the next Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, or what's going to be the next Al Pacino movie, or what's going to be the next John Wayne movie, or what's going? Whereas now, when we see movies, a movie will come out and it's then you know blank, whatever they whatever they make, it's 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 this movie, and these are the characters that they stick into it, and so it's always interesting. Like, oh, okay, well you know, this person's going to play this role. That'll be interesting to see how he does that. Oh, okay. Well, this person's going to play this, you know, how does Hugh Jackman become Logan? Okay. How does he, you know, and then when he's in the, um, you know, this, uh, some other movie, okay. How does he reinvent himself? Russell Crowe. All right. He was the gladiator, but now how is he going to reinvent himself when he's in, but it's, it's, it's always like the title and the ensemble and the story comes first. And now maybe that's just, I'm throwing this out there because is it just perspective and I'm looking back in time, but it's like, I don't go see the next Russell Crowe movie or Hugh Jackman movie or Tom Cruise movie. I go see blank and it just happens to have these guys in it. Whereas back in the day when we're talking about, well, this is another Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle or another John Wayne vehicle. Back in the day, it was, you went and saw the movie because you want to see this actor in a given situation, but the actor is the draw. Whereas now it seems like the story or the plot or the special effects or whatever they're trying to bring to life, that's the draw. And it's like, oh, well, it'll be real interesting to see how so-and-so fits into that story. Do do you guys get what I'm saying or am I just a blithering idiot? Or is both of those things true? No, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think that I'm trying to decide which route I want to take on this if I want to if I want to be the cynical, oh, I'll, I'll give yeah, John a second to form his thought, but I think it's the commoditization of actors. 
Okay. There are so many choices now. Like, it's not... There are so many choices now for actors. Very few parts are written for an actor. They write the part and then they go find someone to play it. They might mm-hmm. have two or three in mind, but like you were saying, back in the day, someone wrote a script for James, for uh, John Wayne, or James Dean. They, they wrote a script for a person. I think the other part of it is business. Back mm-hmm. then, you didn't sign up for a movie. You signed up to work with a theater, uh, a production company. You signed up to work with 20th Century Fox, and you had a five-picture deal with 20th Century Fox. Mm-hmm. You didn't know what those movies were when you signed the deal. Okay. The only thing that's even close to that these days, and John's better with this stuff, so he may tell me there's more, but the only thing that's even close to those kind of deals now is the deal some people got from Marvel okay. um, to do multi-picture deals ahead of time without knowing what they really were. Um, you get a contract to do, do – let's use – we mentioned Die Hard earlier. You get a contract to do Die Hard. Mm-hmm. You know, they might put a clause in your contract that says you will be available if we want to do a sequel. But that's as far as it went. It wasn't these multi-picture deals like you see, like you saw back then. Yeah. With the exception of Marvel. Again, there are the notable exception. I think some people, I want to say Samuel L. Jackson got like a six-picture deal out of the thing. So he's got two or three more at least. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. To a certain degree, I think that's true. Now, there 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 were definitely instances of... If somebody try, if a studio tried to sign you for a movie, they did want to try to sign you for multiple movies, especially if it was like an action movie or adventure movie, yeah. because they wanted you to be available right, for sequel stuff for sequels. Or if you, you know, if you became a big star because of this one, they wanted to be able to have you on retainer to say, "Okay, cool, we got you in this adventure movie, and we're going to make a sequel to the adventure movie, but then we also want to try you in a romantic comedy." Right. And mm-hmm. so I think I, one example, you know, I've been. I've been mentioning several times. I've listened to that, uh, the Rocketeer minute. Okay. And they talked the to the, the, do you guys not read the papers ever? Good grief. Um, they, uh, I would never get old. No, it's, it's not <laughs> going to, um, it's been going since 1938. It's not going to get old. Um, they've been talking to Billy Campbell, the guy who played the Rocketeer on several of the episodes. And they, they talked to him about how Disney, um, when he was signing on to play the Rocketeer, uh, Disney wanted him to sign for three movies and mm. it wasn't necessarily that he was signing for three Rocketeer movies, but he was just signing on to work for Disney for three movies. Mm. Um, most likely they would have, if it had done well, then most likely they would have done at least two or three Rocketeer movies. They wanted it to be kind of like a new Indiana Jones type franchise. But, sure. um, but I think that was a, I think Disney was, and and other studios as well, we're trying to jump in on that and say, okay, you know what? We're going to get this person to sign ahead of time, you know, especially if it's like an action movie. If this becomes a big action star, we want to get them, we want to get their salary locked in for the next three movies now. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then we don't have to pay them as much going forward, which I think is kind of what they did with Gal Gadot uh, for Wonder Woman. Because, mm-hmm. and I, I read this the other day and this kind of made me a little upset um, she only got, and I, I say only as if it's a small amount, she only got 300,000 for playing Wonder Woman. Wow. Where most of her male counterparts are getting, 
you know, in the multiples of millions. Mm-hmm. Um, she got 300,000. So I'm hoping, and I think she signed for at least three or four, maybe more movies. Um, and that could be, that could be justice league, wonder woman, you know, other spinoffs. Sure. Um, but, uh, hopefully they didn't lock her into some, you know, ridiculously low salary because now she's going to be a, a much bigger star than she was before the wonder woman movie came out. But I mean, I think, I think studios, even back then were trying to lock you into, if, if they could trying to lock you into a multi picture deal just so they could lock in your salary and not, you know, if you've got real big, real fast, then you couldn't come back and be like, Oh, Hey, and not, I'm and to not let you go work for somebody else. True. Yeah. Cause back then the competition between the production houses was kind of insane. Yeah. Well, and I think to, to your point earlier, I think that nowadays, like, like you were saying, I think that they've really tried to redesign the movie making process to be more about the story and less about who's playing the character. And that, Mm -hmm. you know, you can look at movies like rogue one and say, okay, yeah, there were some, there were some actors that, you know, I recognize some of the actors in that movie, but they're not like, you know, it, it wasn't like a Brad Pitt. It wasn't like a Ben Affleck. It wasn't a Robert Downey Jr. It wasn't a Christian Bale. It wasn't one of those guys, but I do recognize some of these actors and it was still a really successful movie and it was a, a Star Wars movie. And so I mm-hmm. think, and I, I don't know if I want to take the cynical route and say that studios are doing this on purpose so they don't have to pay as much for their actors. I'm sure oh. that's a consideration. Oh, sure it is. I'm sure it is. Um, it also makes you replaceable. Right. Yeah, and, and I mean, make, I if think If we make it about the story and we can find someone who looks a little like you mm-hmm. and the public will buy it, we can still make the story without you, so. Right. Aha. Yeah, and I think that, I think that right now, um, in terms of the quality of stories that are being written, I think television is knocking it out of the park. And, you know, I, I think movies are suffering a little bit because television is doing so well, especially with Netflix and Amazon and all these others doing these original movies and original series. I, th- and, and I think that they look at the success of the TV shows and say, all right, well, they can get these people that no one's ever seen before to star in this show and, and do a phenomenal job and make a whole ton of money. And then, you know, in the next season they can replace them. So Hollywood, why can't we move to, why can't we do that? Mm-hmm. You know, let's, mm-hmm. let's focus more on the story and, and just, you know, we'll try to get, if we can't afford a Robert Downey Jr., we'll get the young kid that looks like a Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. So I kind of, if I had to guess, I, I think that's kind of why you don't see as much of that anymore. You don't see, you know, I'm, I'm coming to see the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie or I'm coming to see the Hugh Jackman movie. I think yeah. that's, if I had to guess, I'd say that's why. Yeah. Because they're trying yeah. to phase that out so they can save money. Interesting. Yeah, and, and maybe why we see so much in the way of remakes now when you said, like, well, the story's the focal point. It's just like, hey, well, we're going to put the remake out there because, you know, the, the story is what drives it. We really don't, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter that it really was so unique because, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was bringing that character to life. You know, right. we just put another big muscle guy with a sword out there. We can redo Conan. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the rock, can, the rock for Conan. Anyone? Rock yeah. for Conan? I, I really think you could put him in anything. Yeah. Well, certainly anything. Back to the future. Back to the future with the rock. Yeah. I mean, as long as he'll fit in the DeLorean, I think it's fine. 
Yeah, well, now, that would be hysterical. Mm -hmm. Can we see if that even works? Well, sure. and in all in all honesty, I mean, we're going to need a bigger DeLorean. <laughs> we're going to need a bigger. We're going to need a bigger boat. Well, I think that's still. I think it still maybe happens with comedy. I mean, if Will Ferrell's going to be in a movie, there's mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be the next Will Ferrell movie, right? You know, I, right. And, and, and just as one example, there's a certain something you expect from a Will Ferrell movie. Yeah. Just like back in the day, you would expect from a John Wayne movie. There's a certain yeah. tenor or right. of of movie that you're expecting. You're not going to see a Will Ferrell movie expecting to see The Running Man. Right. Yeah. And, and I think we're well, expecting to see Elf. Well, and we've talked about this before, where I think, and I think we agreed on this that maybe comedy is a little bit more. There's just different types of comedy more so than other genres of movies, and. Yes. You know, I may absolutely love a Will Ferrell comedy, and somebody else may absolutely hate a Will Ferrell comedy. Exactly. But if we like action movies, we're probably going to like the action movie no matter who's in it. Mm -hmm. I think we've mentioned that before on one of the other shows, and I, I think that's probably why you still have that with comedy movies. True, um, but yeah. I, but I, and I will say this though. You know, we could say that well, all the Schwarzenegger movies are alike, or all the Stallone movies are alike, or all you know. And I'm quoting some big action ones, but you know, you can go back and watch those and that's still that, that personality is still enough to draw you in, which there's a lot of people I've talked to that with all the modern movies out there and all the comic book movies and all the everything, you know, I've talked to some people, my brother for one, you know, I'll say, Hey, did you see so-and-so? And he likes going and checking movies out. Hey, did you go see, you know, you know, Civil War, Captain America, Civil War. But and he, he'll just kind of go, eh, I might catch it later. But he says, honestly, those things all run together. And, and he, in his take, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I just gave Cap Civil War as an example. I'm not saying he specifically had a problem with it. Yeah. But he said, they all kind of run together. And he said, I don't know. It's like they're just churning them out. And then they tell you, this is going to be the biggest movie of the summer. You must go see it. And then we go see it. And it's like, okay, there was the big action scene, there was the this, there was the that, the, you know, nothing really, it's, it's kind of more of the same kind of stuff. And, you know, but then you bring up like an old, any one of these name actor things, and it's like, oh yeah, that's still fun. Why? Well, it's still fun seeing that guy or that girl get up and do their thing in a movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, and it's, it's, there is no right or wrong, because it's just like, you know, either you're seeing a whole bunch of Schwarzenegger movies that have a lot in common, or you go with some BC, a bunch of Marvel and DC movies, and that, those things all usually have a bunch in common with themselves. So it's just kind of pick your poison. But I, I don't know. I didn't mean to go completely off the rails on a tangent, but just, just the question that was kind of popping into my head as we were having our discussion. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I don't, I don't know that we got, so Bo, we got yours. Um, going back to the stalkers and, and which one you'd fight. Did Pat, did you say which one you'd fight? I don't know, man. I, I, I think both said dynamo. I mean, dynamo, just like if you throw a bucket of water on him and he gets electrocuted, you know, he, he kind of would seem to have the easiest, you know, Achilles heel. Whereas the other guys, you know, he had to kind of fight their way through. Um, well, the, the one guy's got a freaking chainsaw and let's be honest here. Um, chainsaw theme lately. People yeah. Mm -hmm. no, yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm, but, I'm not messing uh, with the chainsaw. Yeah, the chainsaw scares me. Anyone that can swing that thing around, I'm mm -hmm. freaking me out. Yeah. Yeah. 
so I guess if, if anyone, I, I'd like to do that. And then as far as my favorite one, boy, I don't know. Each one of those guys was fun to watch. I, I, yeah, I, I'd be hard pressed to pick a favorite. I, in terms of a favorite one, I think I got to go dynamo. Okay. Just because I love how ridiculous it is that he sings opera and then goes out to kill people by electrocuting yep. them. Yep. 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 Just the, the, and that, that guy actually was a classically trained opera singer. So it was actually him singing. Oh, oh wow! Um, That's cool. I didn't know that. And uh, you, but if I had to pick one to fight, I feel like Sub Zero was a little slower than the rest of them. All right. I don't know. For some reason, it just seemed like he might be easier to evade. Um, it did really matter. I mean, I would be dead in the first five minutes, no matter what. Um, you know that this game is already stacked against me by being called the Running Man. It, <laughs> I'm just going to be the standing still and hoping for the best man. Okay. Exactly. So what for picking your favorite, you got to quote that old lady. What's the guy's name? Ben Richards. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. That, Wasn't she, that awesome? I'm going to, I'm going to pick Ben Richards. Yeah. Uh, why? Well, he's a bad mother. Yeah. I mean, it's just <laughs> this old granny. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. She was the best. Mm-hmm. And apparently she was, uh, if that's the one I'm thinking of, um, she was kind of an homage to an actual person who would go to like all the old game shows and things like that um, in the, I think it was like in the 60s and 70s and maybe in the 80s. There was this woman that would make the rounds to a lot of the different game shows that were filmed in California. And, and I forget what her name was, but she would make the rounds and she was just, she was like a regular fixture. Like she was in the audience for a whole bunch of different game shows in real life. Um, and I, that was supposed to be an homage to her. Hmm. All right. Um, yeah. So if I was going to fight somebody, I, I think I would pick sub zero to be the one I'd fight. Oh, I like, I like dynamo the best, uh, which leads me into my last question. And that is, and that can kind of lead into if you've got a favorite scene or a favorite quote, but, um, We've talked before about the the Arnold movies and the one-liners, and I think that you know when you compare all of his movies, I think Commando probably has the most Arnold one-liners in it than any other Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. movie. Um, but uh, what are some of the best? And, and you, you don't have to be confined just to um, just a Running Man. What are you, what's your favorite? And if you can think of one, what's the worst Arnold one-liner? <laughs> You should not cook and bake. Or no, you should not drink should and drink bake. And bake. Is, is that favorite or worst? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> you should not drink and bake. Oh, God, I wish I could remember the line. It's from True Lies. He's in the Harrier jet. Here's my invitation. So oh. fake. <laughs> what now? I was thinking of the here's my invitation. Is that the... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That one's pretty bad. It's not the one I'm picturing, but that one's pretty bad. Okay. Yeah, pretty much anything from True Lies is it's kind of rough. Um, to me, what was the line? What was the line from the mob movie where he was in the dressing room and he's like, it's "Something about I'm going to kill you later." Or no, that was Sully. There was some. Yes, I like you, Sully. You're a funny guy. That's I'm going to kill you last. Yeah, that was that. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I got to do. There was one from the mob. What was the name of the mob movie that we did with Schwarzenegger? Um, yeah, uh, the one that we just yeah. did last year. Uh, cold? No, cold? No. 
All right. Welcome to the 30-something movie podcast where our memories last about 30 minutes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, you keep doing your thing. Raw I'm deal. Do it was raw deal. Raw yep. deal. What yeah. you said. Um, okay. So I, I was going to say, so anything from True Lies, all those one-liners from that were a little rough. And then the best one, it's so simple, but he delivers it so well every time. I'll be back. Yes. <laughs> And it's so Arnold, and it's like, you know, there are things people are going to be remembered for years after they have shed this mortal coil, and that's just one of those things. He will always be that guy. Yeah. So it's a bit of a cop-out, because it doesn't really require much thought, but it's just one of those, like, yeah. And you can, you can say that to anybody, and you'll get a reaction. You know, it's just, it's there. It's Arnold. It's, yeah. 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 I'll be back is an awesome quote. Well, it, 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 that's one of those things. It's, it's just the way he delivers it, and it's just solid, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I got to say, one of my favorites is let off some steam, Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, another oh you know what another one that I like I when I saw this on a list of different one liners of Arnold's another one I like is from Twins uh, and he has the line it was he knocks the guy off the motorcycle kind of by accident and he goes I did nothing the pavement was his enemy yes that was yes. good I was actually just gonna say when you said Twins that movie has a lot of good stuff yeah in there just yeah. little things they're just funny I think he like. Twins and even Kindergarten Cop. Let's. How can you forget? It's not a tumor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they showed a side of him that was just different, and it was awesome at the time. It was like we needed to see that he wasn't just a muscle-bound meathead, and those two right. movies were perfect for that. The one I was thinking of from Raw Deal was, uh, "I hope you're not. I hope you're not your mother's only child." Yes. <laughs> That one was, and it was delivered so well too. But it yeah. was that was the one I was. That's thinking. fantastic. Uh, what was the other one? Um, well, and you know what? Overall, this movie, I I got to go with this movie having some of the worst. Okay. Yeah. Well, this movie. I mean, you so you mentioned rough in this one. Yeah, Bo, you mentioned that he seems kind of you know a little wooden in this movie. Um, it just the the writing for his dialogue is just bad. Well, and did I read somewhere that he and the director didn't really get along at the start of things? Yeah, he was I think not so. A fan. I wonder if that had anything to do with it. Yeah, I, it could be because I mean here and and I kind of made fun of this. Um, I, I think I tweeted this earlier. And I made fun of this. I was like, you know what? As much as I love this movie, it's got one of the worst lines, one of the worst Arnold one-liners I have ever heard. And it's the when he kills Sub-Zero and he does the whole, here is Sub-Zero, now plain zero. What does that yeah. mean? Oh, no. Like, what is, I don't even know. <laughs> and I, and I'm, I know that I'm thinking way too hard about an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. But, but what does that mean? Here is Sub-Zero, now plain zero. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. So that's probably my least favorite of all time. Yeah. Yeah. That was a little rough. If it bleeds, we can kill it. 
Come with me if you want to live has to rank up there with some mm-hmm. of the best ones. Oh, and then I do That's like the. No, so so here and this may actually be my favorite one. You brought this one up, Pat, but this may be my favorite one because of of you know he does it once and then he brings it back later on. The uh, you know from Commando, you're a funny guy, Sully. I like you. That's why I'm going to kill you last. Yeah, yeah. And then and then later when he captures when he get when he gets Sully and you know hangs him off the side of a cliff, he goes, "Remember, Sully, when I promised to kill you last, I lied. I lied. You know what? That's another one he comes he uses a lot. I lied. Yeah." That comes up in a lot of movies, and it's all about his delivery. It's all about that accent. It just gives you so much. Yeah, the uh, the Total Recall. You have a lot of nerves showing your face. Look who's talking. Look who's talking. <laughs> 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 or is it when he uh, uh, was it the elevator comes by and uh, he's holding the guy over the platform, Richter. Yeah, and the and the elevator goes over and slices off his arms, and he just he throws his arms down at him. He's like, "See you at the party, Richter." I'm like, okay, that, that's good. I don't know what it means, but it's funny. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, you know, you gotta you gotta say you, you gotta say something. You gotta have some very quippy one liner when you disarm a guy, right? <laughs> nah. Yeah, you see what I did the, there. Um, Farewell the, to the arms. True, the true lies one where he's like. Uh, where his wife's talking to him and he's got the sodium pentothal in his system. And she says, have you killed people? He said, yes, but they were all bad. <laughs> that one was pretty funny. Okay. You might've found a redeeming one in, in true lies. I'll give you that. There you go. All right. Cause that is good. You, you're not wrong. Yeah. All right. Well, do we have anything else we want to say about uh, the running man? Enjoyed it. If, if you've if you listened to all this nonsense and you haven't seen it, you should go see it. Especially if you enjoy our general take on genre movies of this type, because it's a classic and it's, uh, dare I say, foundational. Okay. In the dystopian I think so. genre. I think, I think you could. I think you could say that. Make a case for it. Mm-hmm. Did you? Uh, you know what? So very, very quickly, because um, I know we got to wrap up. But very quickly, this was one question I did want to ask. Um, what about one other? Pick one other dystopian movie. Do you have a favorite dystopian movie? Oh. Dark City. Oh, that's a good one. Fantastic. Yeah, that's a good one. Have you ever seen Dark City, Pat? No, I haven't. Rufus, I was looking through the list. Rufus Sewell. Sewell. I don't even know how you pronounce the man's last yeah. name. He's off, uh, oh, so good. And Jennifer Connelly, which helps. Mm-hmm. Jennifer that, Connelly. That never any hurts. Day, any day, all day. Yep. <laughs> hey, um, and actually, Pat, if yeah. you ever, if you want to borrow that one, I have it. So let me know. Okay. It's really good. Cool. Have you guys seen A Clockwork Orange? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. My, okay, so just the other day, my father-in-law was talking to me about that movie. And he said, anytime you want to sit and just get it weirded out, it's beyond, you know, like just, it's the craziest thing you'll ever see. <sighs> Malcolm McDowell and oh god there was a stretch of time just like I talked about my stretch of times where I'd watch you know Schwarzenegger or I'd watch like a John Travolta I had a stretch of time where I was watching all of the Stanley Kubrick movies nice yeah that by the way one of the best I don't okay. know it, but my brother does one of the best blu-ray box sets ever oh it's the Stanley so Kubrick that- collection that Kubrick collection. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah, I wish I it had that. Just, it, 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 you know, it's just amazing. Like you just pick a random one out of the box and sit down and enjoy life. Mm. 
Yeah, at the Clockwork Orange, man. So fun. But you got to be in the mood for it. Yeah, okay. it's, uh, it's intense. Yeah, you got you to gotta want it because it is, well, it's Kubrick. I mean, come on. Yeah. I, I would say the same about 2001. I love science fiction, but you got to be in the mood for 2001. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is not a random pick it off the shelf kind of deal. No. <laughs> so if I'm going uh if I'm going dystopian future movie. Um ay ay ay. This is tough. Yeah, now now I, I made you guys narrow it down to one, so I need to narrow it down to one. You've never before. You always cop out. Of I know, I do. <laughs> I cheat. Does well, the Matrix count? Yeah, yeah, the Matrix count. doubt. Would that be yours? Uh, maybe. I'm just wondering if it counts. Like, does Logan count? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, see, I'm, But I'm stuck. That stretches know. the genre a little bit, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I see that as, like, dystopian. Okay. I mean, it, it sucks if you're a mutant, but. Right. Yeah, see here's here's my problem is I I'm looking at a list of dystopian movies, dystopian future movies, and I'm looking at Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking at 12 Monkeys. Oh yeah. Uh Dark City. Dark City. RoboCop. RoboCop. Um what was one of the other ones? Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Dark City, John, was that the one that you said was like Matrix but like Yes. Yeah, it's, it's like if if Matrix was a little bit less of an action movie and more of a and darker uh, noir <laughs> thriller mystery. Okay. Yeah. With Jennifer Connelly. With Jennifer Connelly. Got it. Oh, you know what? And, and Mad Max Fury Road. Well, I was just gonna say, don't forget Mad Max and all this, and you can hey. list all them. And you know what I would say, John? You could list the Mad Maxes as one. Yeah. You know, that would be, uh, you know. And you know what? I actually, uh, and this got referenced on one other website that I was watching, and I, I was interested to try to find it, and I didn't get a chance to find it before we recorded. There's a Japanese movie called Battle Royale, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds very much like this movie, kind of like a cross between this movie and Hunger Games. Uh, it's a Japanese movie that came out in 2000, and it is called Battle Royale, uh, not with cheese. And... <laughs> Uh, the description I've got here is, I mean, mean, this sounds like any, any number of field trips that we would have taken our kids on, um, (laughs) in the future, the Japanese government captures a class of ninth grade students and forces them to kill each other under the revolutionary battle Royale act. Oh, interesting. So apparently they kidnap a whole group of a whole class of ninth graders and they drop them in the forest with a little bit of food and they put these explosive collars on them. And they force them to fight each other to the death. Wonderful. So, yeah, that, that one sounded interesting. I, I, Pat, it kind of goes a little bit against your whole, um, you know, blowing up children thing, but. Yeah, not, not a big fan, but. Yeah, you know, but they're ninth graders. They're not like in some countries that wouldn't be a child. Yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, so it's fine. It should be all right. Hey, did any of you guys see the movie Snowpiercer? No, but that shows up on this list too. Yeah, yeah. see Snowpiercer. Okay. Yeah. It was on Netflix for a while, and I, I kept meaning to go take a look at it, and I never did. Okay. If it comes back or if it's on something, that movie is good. Okay. That's Chris Evans, isn't it? And you know what? Yes. Okay. Yes. 
Is that the one that takes place on the train? Yes, that's the one on the train. Okay. And I know, I know all of these movies kind of have this, like, you know, normally they're a little bit outside of the typical Hollywood type thing, but this is outside the typical Hollywood type thing. Okay. So, yeah. Snowpiercer is good. Okay. All right. If I had to go with one, I'd say Matrix. Okay. I mean, if I, you know, did you ever lock in on one, John? No, or I'm cheating. Um, I think you know the answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go with. Give us your top with... three then. Uh, we'll allow a top three. Go for it. Not, not cool. Um, no, I'm, I'm going to narrow this down. I'm going to narrow this down to one. I'm going to narrow it down to either Blade Runner or V for Vendetta. There you oh, go. Okay. And I'm going to go with. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You know what? I'm going to go with V for Vendetta. Woo! Oh, cool, man. I'm going to do that one because right I, I like, I really like Blade Runner. Blade Runner is probably one of my favorite sci-fi movies. But if I'm going to, and, and I really like V for Vendetta, if I was going to rewatch one more than the other, I would rewatch V for Vendetta more often. There you go. Blade that Runner, I think, is it's I, the better movie. I, I think Blade Runner is one of those that it kind of, it's it's a little bit like, one of those that you have to be in the mood for to watch it yeah. just because I think it's so dense and so heavy. Um, and whereas V for Vendetta, if I wanted to put that on and just watch it as an action movie, I could do that. But then it's also got a lot of deeper stuff in it too. Yeah. I think I'd rewatch that one a little bit more often. So I, I think that that's the only reason that edges it out for me, but there we go. Okay. Yeah. I did it. I narrowed it down to one. It's, it's a record. We've never done that before. John, I'm proud of you. Thank you. That's welcome. That's all I live for. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us here. Um, so if you have not seen The Running Man, we've just ruined the whole thing for you. But if you have not seen it, uh, go take a look. It is a fun movie. Yeah. Um, and then you can imagine, you know, you, you can you can try to maybe the next time you have a family gathering, you could make your own Running Man game. Uh, and, <laughs> and, you know, find a way to play that like on New Year's Eve or I don't know. Um, have prizes for the last people left living in your party and you know all, all kinds of fun stuff like that it's it's a fun movie and maybe a little too close to home in terms of what 2017 actually looks like yeah a little bit yeah. I was creeped out won't lie a little bit alright well uh, coming up for us we're probably going to make a few changes here and there to our uh, July calendar uh, I think we kind of mentioned this last time we've got several movies coming up um, in July but we also wanted to throw in uh, an episode where we talk about Star Trek The Next Generation. That one, that one came out in 87, so we want to talk about that one. Uh, we do want to throw in our worst movies of 1987, which I think, I think Leonard Part 6. And, nice. and it, as much as that's a horrible, horrible movie, I, I really actually can't wait to talk about that one. It so, is a special one. It's, it's very special. We were going to do La Bamba. We were going to do Prick Up Your Ear, Dirty Dancing, and Radio Days, and then possibly the worst of 87 and Star Trek The Next Generation. But I think also because our 150th episode is coming up very, very soon, I think we're going to drop a couple of the uh, movies that we had on the plan here for July. We're definitely going to do Dirty Dancing, and we're definitely going to do La Bamba. Um, but we may drop a couple of the others and, and stick with the, the worst of 87 and the Star Trek Next Generation one. So... 
we will like a plan to me. We'll revise that as we go along. But uh, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, if you want to check out uh, what's going on or interact with us more than just listening to us, um, you can go to our website, 30podcast.com, and that's got all the different ways, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, all those different ways you can get in touch with us. You can email us, 30podcast at gmail.com. We are at 30podcast, at 30podcast on Twitter. Facebook.com slash 30podcast. We are on Stitcher, Satchel, Google Play, iTunes, and you can listen to us directly on 30podcast.com, our website. Um, so next time around, our next episode most likely is going to be La Bamba. Um, and then from there, probably Dirty Dancing. Um, and then on into our other ones for July. So we will, we'll let you know as it goes along, but that's most likely going to be our next and will be La Bamba. Uh, so we will get our dancing shoes on, and uh, thankfully this is an audio audio medium, so you won't be able to see us dance. Amen. Because that's the best way to see us dance. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, in the meantime, thank you, Bo. Thank you, John. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, John. And uh, in the meantime, be excellent to each other, and go watch some good movies. Go watch some good dystopian future movies. Maybe not set in 2017. Right. We are living, never mind. We're living the dream. Never mind. We're just going to just. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully the actual future trumps the uh, the uh, 2017 made up future. I'm in a good place here, John. You're in a good place? Saying. You're in a good place? Okay. Yeah. I'm, good. I'm, I'm glad I'm, one of us is. I'm, I'm cowering in my basement and I'm in a good place right yeah. now. I, I hear Jeff's in a good place. It's called Canada. Eh? Yeah. Yay. All right. Well, everybody have a good one, and we will see you back here next time. Uh, hey, will you will you just let me explain? This is television. That's all it is. Uh, it's nothing to do with people. It's to do with the ratings. For 50 years, we've told them what to eat, what to drink, what to wear. For Christ's sake, Ben, don't you understand? Americans love television. They wean their kids on it. Listen, they love game shows. They love wrestling. They love sports and violence. So what do we do? We give them what they want. We're number one, Ben. That's all that counts. Believe me, I've been in the business 30 years. Well, I haven't been in show business as long as you have, Killian. But I'm a quick learner. So I'm going to give the audience what I think they want. (laughs) You drop dead. I don't do requests. 